But today's episode is more of a chill climate. We are not doing like a guest interview like the one we did a couple of weeks ago. Today's guest is going to talk about all about herself, about her work, about her blog. We have a food blogger with us, which is new. She'll be our first guest in the culinary arts. Her name is Natasha, if I'm not wrong, right? That's right. Yeah. So before we begin with today's episode, I'd like you guys to head on to the link in the description. Follow all our social media pages, our websites, our blogs. Check out our second podcast as well, where we talk about ghost stuff and paranormal activities. But let's head on to our first talk of the day. Hi, Natasha. Hi, Kenzie. So nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you as well. I've been waiting for weeks <laughs> to have <laughs> me too. My first guest who will talk about food basically in a while, in a while. This is, you're like the second guest to talk about food, but the first guest to talk about recipes in general, because my first uh-huh. guest when I talked about food was like a culinary arts chef, and that was uh-huh. very confusing because he was talking about diets and all that, but today, mm-hmm. based on your social media pages, I've been seeing you do recipes mostly, mm-hmm. so yes. I'd like you to introduce yourself. In a nutshell, who is Natasha? So my name is Natasha, and I am originally from Russia. I grew up in both Russia and Ukraine. My Half of my family is Russian, and half of my family is Ukrainian. So I moved to Hungary when I was 20 years old, and now I'm 28, so it's been eight years now that I've been living here. At first, I moved for Bible college, then I stayed and then a couple of years ago, I got married to a Hungarian and we had a baby. And now I am staying at home with my baby. And I started a food blog recently because somehow when you're staying at home all day and you're taking care of the baby, you just feel like you want to have a creative outlet. You want to do something different. Mm-hmm. And food blogging is helping me to stay mentally um, healthy in a way. I blog mainly about gluten-free recipes because my husband has celiac disease so he can only have gluten-free stuff and specifically I'm doing gluten-free gluten-free sourdough I have a lot of gluten-free sourdough bread recipes or gluten-free sourdough discard recipes meaning that other things that you can make with sourdough that is not bread Mm -hmm. um so that's in a nutshell and uh based on your recipes do you just bake or do you cook as well I In the beginning, I did cooking too. I had some soup recipes, pastas, but right now I'm mainly focusing on baking. Maybe later I'll do more uh, of cooking, but right now I am planning to continue with publishing gluten-free baked recipes mainly. Ah, that's nice. And uh, you've already said that you do gluten-free recipes because of your husband. And uh, Mm -hmm. it was actually a question I wanted to ask you because... When I checked your website, I realized, oh, it's a lot of gluten-free recipes. And on your YouTube channel as well, there are recipes that contain dairy-free as well. So do you use, like, organic ingredients as well? Because you'll find some people doing gluten recipes and then they're using organic recipes as well. Uh-huh. Well, I don't care so much about organic. Here where we are um, at in Hungary... Um, the food contamination with, you know, kinds of GMO is not as common. We have 
a lot of um, good ingredients that don't cause harm to your health. And so I'm I, on my YouTube channel, I have a lot of recipes that are not gluten free because that was in the very beginning when I was still figuring out uh, who I am as a food blogger, what am I um, doing? And I did post a few recipes that were made with regular flour. Then I um, changed my focus on, more on gluten free. I do have some dairy free recipes, but those are dairy free mainly naturally. Um, mm-hmm. I have some dairy free pancakes, dairy free maybe banana bread or bread. Those things just generally naturally they wouldn't contain dairy, so I add dairy free for those who uh, would follow that diet as well. And normally I will include in every recipe I will include, like if you are vegan, this is what substitutes you can make. Or if you're dairy intolerant, that you can, you know, substitute, let's say, milk for plant-based or you can substitute eggs for, you know, banana, applesauce or all kinds of other things mm-hmm. um, to make it friendly for other people. But my main focus is gluten-free because, you know, when I bake, um, I have to test recipes and sometimes I'll make five batches of cookies or five sweetbreads. And then if my husband can't eat them, then I'm in trouble. I have to eat all of them. And I, I'm i not a fan of bread, actually, so much. And I'm not gluten intolerant either. So it's not that I want to eat, you know, 10 loaves of gluten-free bread. Um, I mean, no, wait. No, if it is not gluten-free, yeah, then I would have to eat it. And I'm not a fan of bread in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in gluten-free, then my husband can... Uh, help me and he's more than happy to do that (laughs) (laughs) so it's a baking household he eats as long as it's gluten-free yes but sometimes even he can't um, eat as much as I make I'm this week I was working on a sweet bread Mm -hmm. for Easter it's Eastern uh, sweet bread and I think I made like six loaves of it and we have one shelf in the freezer that is full of those breads (laughs) I think it will take us a couple months to get rid of those oh yeah i do understand that because like a couple of weeks ago i i was doing an experiment on uh scottish shortcake biscuits and uh Uh i kind of i kind of i messed up on some ingredients because i was trying to find some substitute and they didn't Mm -hmm. turn out right so Uh nobody liked them so i was stuck with these biscuits that i had to Mm -hmm. go through so it was like taking small bites, small bites at a time, because you can just throw them away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know. A jar of biscuits or whatever experimental thing you've done, because you just ruined a couple of measurements. Because I really yes. did that. And I'm curious, do you also mess up on some ingredients? Let's say you're trying to find a substitute for something, and then you realize, oh, that's not so good. Or you realize, oh, it didn't turn out as it should be. Oh, yes. The other day I was making a sourdough um, sweet bread and I baked it at a wrong uh, temperature. You know, all sourdough things you have to bake at really high temperature. So it would be above 400 Fahrenheit or above 200 Celsius. Mm -hmm. And I baked it at 175 Celsius, which would be 325 uh, or 350 Fahrenheit. And um, my sourdough sweet bread was so dense that it was... It was so gummy and dense inside that it was not pleasant to eat at all. But thankfully, my husband doesn't really care so much about the quality of certain things. He will eat it. He'll just put some jam on over it, you know, and eat it. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes if I'm figuring, like, I have also been working on this other uh, sweet bread. And it took me a few tries to make it right. It would just, you know, spread very much because I would put too much liquid in it or too much yeast. And then I had to 
make a few tries before I figured out the right balance. So yeah, I do have those definitely. Sometimes it is easier because let's say I want to publish a certain recipe that a lot of other bloggers already published. So mm-hmm. I'll just look at what ratios they're using and get an idea that, okay, this is how much dry versus wet ingredients you need to use and then go off from there. And then I'll be able to create my own version of that basing my experience off of what someone else already done. But mm-hmm. if I am figuring something out from scratch, then it is harder. I mean, I don't think I've ever thrown away something unless it was completely burnt and unedible, but I don't remember when that was when that happened the last time. So I think like with your biscuits, there's always a way. Oh, <laughs> a way to I tried. I've work. been eating them for a month because oh. uh, the biscuits are not. They were supposed to be like crumble cookies. They're just supposed to like just melt in your mouth and crumble in your mouth. But oh. instead of using brown sugar, I ran out of it, so I used confectioner's sugar, and I used the same uh-huh. measurements. So they turned uh-huh. out rock hard. That you have Ooh. to dip it in like coffee or tea, and it didn't work mm-hmm. out. So you could feel the sugar in your teeth, and Ooh. it wasn't nice. You can imagine uh-huh. you have hard biscuits that are sugary, even with tea, mm-hmm. even with coffee, mm-hmm. and nobody Ooh. wanted to eat them. And that was like the mm-hmm. fifth time I've made them, but the fifth time is when I messed up, just because I ran out of brown sugar and decided, oh, I have confectioner sugar. Let me use that instead. See how it works out. Mm-hmm. And then my mom comes and she reminds me, you forgot about the molasses. Brown sugar has molasses. Ooh. That's why it tastes different. But you just uh-huh. use the same measurements with plain sugar. Like mm-hmm. like the wrong measurement. It just turned out so wrong. I felt so bad. I had a jar of 40 biscuits. 40 biscuits. Nobody wants to eat them. I ate them for a month, Nat. A whole month. Just (laughs) chewing through them. Regretting my life choices. And making matters worse, I don't have ovens like yours that you can just set the temperature. It's a Uh gas oven. So you have to spit Uh on the temperature that's in there. You just have to like Mm -hmm. put your hand in it and then just imagine how hot it is (laughs) i've burnt my eyebrows out because of that thing because you can't imagine how hot or how cold it is so you just open the door all the air goes out i can't even Mm. cook simple recipes in that because pavlovas don't work out with my oven Mm -hmm. they don't they just crash and fall cupcakes as well they burn instead of cooking Mm. but i wonder it burns at the top I wonder if you got an oven thermometer. They sell them in grocery stores sometimes, and they are not that expensive. You can also order on Amazon, and um, they will tell you what temperature your oven is at right now, and then you'll be able to, you know, adjust. That yeah, will I save you some that, pain. But then I realized that maybe it's because there's no fan in the oven to like distribute the heat mm-hmm. because you'll find the heat is at the central place so if you have a baking tray anything at the back and anything at the front does not cook and then everything in mm. the middle is like super hot so it mm-hmm. burns at the middle whatever is at the front whatever is at the back does not work so you have to like mm. switch your tray out switch you have to like check you have a 40 minute recipe but every five minutes you have to turn the tray turn the tray turn the tray so that you ensure that Nothing is burnt or nothing is undercooked. It's it's hectic. That oven is hectic. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not like the ones you find in the house. We bought it because we thought, oh, it would be cheaper having a gas range. So we just buy a gas oven as well. We had regrets. Those mm-hmm. are our life regrets. But 
I'm curious if you weren't doing like food blogging and you weren't at home or probably you weren't in Hungary at this time, what else would you be doing in your life? So when so, I um, just moved to Hungary, I uh, first couple of years I was studying and then I moved to a town where I was doing a lot of volunteering work. I, uh, me and my husband, we like to go to um, orphanages and to help kids that are at the orphanages. We do a lot of um, activities with them, games. We invite them over to our house and uh, we do Bible stories with them. So that is something that I was doing prior to even getting married, having a blog, having a baby. I was um, doing a lot of volunteering work, kind of social work. So, of course, it doesn't pay much, but I guess I wasn't like there are different people, different personalities. Some people focus more on like a job that is going to pay well. And some people probably will do something that they want to do that they really like. Mm-hmm. So at first, um, yeah, I was doing a lot of uh, volunteering work. My dream when I was finishing high school was to do something creative. I always wanted to, you know, be a writer or an actress or a dancer. I was doing hip-hop dancing. I studied in theater for one year. Um, And I guess business was never something that I was focusing on so much. My Both of my parents are in business. They're good with money and now, my dad has his own company. My mom works for a company, and they were encouraging us to do the same. Mm-hmm. But um, I just felt that sitting in an office would be torturing for me. There are different people who have different needs, I guess, to express themselves. And some people really like accounting, sitting in an office, and having somebody tell them what to do. And there are people like me who have a hard time um doing the same thing over and over and over again for months. So I would probably travel. I was traveling a lot too. So if I didn't have what I have right now, I'd probably be traveling and finding all kinds of other jobs to do. Maybe, mm-hmm. again, volunteering or helping with, like, refugee things. Because right now we have a lot of refugee work in Budapest. And... In Europe, you know, it's easier to travel so you can get places where people need help. Like right now there's Turkey or, you know, there's always something. Yeah, I do understand your concept because uh, also for me, when I joined, I'm not done with my undergrad. I'm like left with eight trimesters. And uh, when I joined, I was like positively 100% sure that I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, like be on the news desk every single day, repeating the same intro, doing the same type of news, going back home, doing the same thing over and over again for the rest of my life. But then, like, after a year, three semesters in, I'm like, no, this is so boring. I I don't know how to stay put. I really cannot stay put. Like, you can't mm-hmm. say, or trust me to just stay in one place doing the same, same thing. And then I discovered podcasting. And then I'm like, okay, finally, something I have control over, something at least I can sell, like, it's not scripted. I can just tell my guests to do whatever they want and I can do whatever I want. And then I mm-hmm. began writing again. And then I'm like, woo, okay, more freedom, more freedom. And then film work came. And then I'm like, oh, perfect. I'm never joining an office ever again. Mm-hmm. I'm not even thinking, like office work is not my prospect at all. Like I told mm-hmm. my mom and my mom is fully on board. She's like, you know what? You do you. You're great in film work. <laughs> You're great in your podcast. You're great in your books. Just do that. Hire yourself, basically. It's like hiring yourself. You know, it's like yeah. 
flexibility. You can move, you can do charity work if you want to, you can travel, you can experiment on cultures. You're free to do everything. But somebody mm-hmm. who's stuck in an office, you have rules to follow. You base you, your life is timetabled by somebody in the higher ups, and I mm-hmm. can't. Like I can't. I'd rather jump off a cliff than do that. I cannot. <laughs> I really. <laughs> I understand. I I can't see my life like that. It's so boring, actually. Mm-hmm. Like not being a family. Yeah, I, I didn't know that you wrote books too. You wrote books. Yeah, what did I you write did. about? Um, uh, I have like you see how you start writing and then you have writer's block and then you stop. So when I was fifteen, mm-hmm. I began my first fictional book and then I wrote it, sent it out to a publisher. They told me you need to edit it out because the story is just everywhere. So I gave up. And then when I joined mm-hmm. my undergrad, I started writing poetry. That's the book I released last year on Amazon. It's called Life's mm-hmm. Shuffles. It's like a poetry collection of anything. It's literally a book that anybody can relate with. Because as mm-hmm. I say in the book, it's everybody ha- suffers from life. And it's up to mm-hmm. us to release our own shackles. So that's why it's called Life Shackles. So it's like a mm-hmm. book, three poems of each alphabet. So A has three poems, three has three poems, C, three poems, B, three poems. And it teaches kids words, also adults, words you you come across in your life, situations come across in your life, but you don't know what it is. And then right mm-hmm. now I have a children's book in the works. We are doing the illustration. The story is done. But wow. The illustration is, yeah, we are trying to make it a series kind of book, like for all kids between the age of zero to six that parents can read to them and uh, like bedtime stories or just casual stories. It's teaching kids how to like overcome their fears. So the first book mm-hmm. is about fear of the dark. It's called uh, Olivia the Turtle, Fearless with the, Fearless with the Stars. That's the name of the book. So you're oh, trying to good be job. with the stars. Yeah. The other books they see are like cookbooks. By me and my mom, we're trying to come up with recipe books called Taste of Africa. We're like mm-hmm. grabbing recipes from all 55 countries in Africa and then putting them in one book. And then mm-hmm. the other book is like a crime fiction. I'm not done. I'm like halfway through. Hopefully those two books will be done this year. So like this year, mm-hmm. my target is writing, writing. Last year wow. was film work. I was doing film directing. Like this year, this year is writing. Because I'm like in the middle of a move, I'm trying to move to LA. Everything is my papers are just everywhere, so I'm like, wow. oh, let me just figure things out. I'm just writing, just releasing my mind. Writing is Crazy. great, I'd say. Yeah, going on in your life. Yeah, at the age of 22, a lot is going on. <laughs> oh, for yeah, doing so you. many things, you are um, using your potential in creative mm-hmm. world and not giving up on it. And I know it's hard because when you're starting out, you know, writing a book, like you said, at 15, somebody rejects it and you feel like a failure But. and it takes so many tries for somebody to really um, recognize you. There are so many, you know, successful people who become worldwide, you know, known uh, that had so many rejects, rejections at first. So it is um, mm-hmm. not an easy path, but as long as you continue and don't give up because of the discouragement, you know, there's so much potential and good job for doing that. Oh, thank you so much, Nat, for that. It's great to hear some great comments about that because you'll find some people telling me, "Oh, you're reaching too high." That's what, you know. I hate my country for that because mm-hmm. you'll find some of your peers are like, "No, you're you're in your twenties. You should be out clubbing, enjoying life." And I'm like, "You're using your parents' money for that. Basically, mm-hmm. don't have your own financial stability, and then you want me by the time I'm in my thirties, I'm just there, stuck." 
married to some man using his money. I don't have my money. And what if he leaves me? What will my child do? What will I do? I don't want to be that kind of parent, by the way, that you don't have anything to call your own. You're just relying mm-hmm. on your spouse's money or their family's money. I want to be in a situation where I can help myself, help my child and help my family, not mm-hmm. surviving off somebody else's money. And if that means having no friends, I'll take it. I'll definitely take <laughs> it. If it means that <laughs> I'm sacrificing friendships, I'm good. You will find friends. You will just find different friends. You will find friends that do similar things as you do. And Mm -hmm. it is wise, you know, young years is when you have the most energy, the most um, ability to stay up, you know, to sleep less. And then if you are using it right now, all of your energy to invest in your future, you are so much ahead of the other people that, you know, like you said, by the age of 30, will realize that they've been partying this whole time. And now uh, they can't really, they don't know what to do with their lives. Yeah. And Nat, if uh, you could have four people, just four random people, like celebrities or anybody you look up to, to be in your place Mm -hmm. and they have dinner in your place or enjoy your cooking, who would these four people be? That's a great question. So like right off the top of my head, I was listening to a podcast yesterday about, it's called Women You Should Know. Um, It's about women that did some great things in their lifetime. It could be, you know, from the past or current time and they were talking about a writer who was taking biblical stories from the past like from 2000 years ago and then she or maybe even more than that and then she would um give them backgrounds lives and um help people go through certain difficult situations in their lives like you were saying with your um poetry book so i don't exactly remember her name i remember her first name was tessa and then I thought that, you know, having somebody like that with such a great imagination and um, a large heart, so to say, you know, to imagine all those um, stories and to want to help people, I think would be great. Um, That would be probably one person. Uh, Another person. Such a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Just pick um, four random people. (laughs) Four random people. Okay, so her, then I'd have... Um, a missionary from, let's say, Middle East, who is mm-hmm. uh, doing great work, but doesn't have recognition. I'd have um, maybe my friend, who's done a lot for my for me in my life. Um, and then the fourth person would be. Oof. The fourth person. Well, let's say it would be another friend of mine that I know that is um I don't know it's hard like I have so many great friends that do like podcasting or filmmaking or um something else or well, let's say I'd have another food blogger over <laughs> let's do that okay for me, if I were to have like four people who haven't been in my home already. I would have the first one, like, with no doubt, I'd find a way to find Rosanna Pensino, the baker, mm-hmm. to be in my home. She doesn't, she doesn't have even to bake or anything. We just have fun. <laughs> I find her so bubbly, so fun, and her recipes are so easy. And also, mm-hmm. if she doesn't show up, I'd love John Cannell from Preppy Kitchen. She, he's also uh-huh. on YouTube. Both of them, I love them so much. Mm-hmm. If I were to have both of them in the same situation... It would be an amazing evening for me. 
Like, mm-hmm. we just bake and have delicious treats for dinner. That would be amazing. But besides anybody in the culinary world, I would have one author. Like, I have so many authors I'd want, but one that I'd really love, but he's sadly not alive, that's author Conan Doyle. He wrote mm-hmm. all the Sherlock Holmes books. I'd love to have him. I'd love to have him. Because... Even though I love so many books by Stephen King and also Harry Potter, but at the top of my list, it's like Sherlock Holmes. I've read, mm-hmm. I've listened mm-hmm. to the audiobook, I've watched every available film. I love Sherlock Holmes that much. And the fourth person, probably my best friend, my childhood best friend, because I have two best friends, I'd really love her to be part of that dinner. Because she's like mm-hmm. one of those people who lives far away and then we don't spend a lot of time together. The other mm-hmm. best friend of mine who I met in my undergrad in uni, that's the person I spend a lot of time with. But for my childhood best friend, we have like a 15-year gap where we haven't seen each other. We just talk online. And whenever she's mm-hmm. around, neither of us are like free to see each other. It's like mm-hmm. that situation. So having those four people like Rosanna, Johnny, and also Arthur Conan Doyle and V mm-hmm. as well, that would be an amazing an amazing evening for me, like life changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there are so many people in this world that, you know, would make our life change <laughs> mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, like choosing those very few who you'd have for the rest of your life. That's that's hard. Like if, if you're given a yeah. situation like that, like choosing anybody who is not family to be part of your life forever. That's mm-hmm. that's hard because you find that. There are people who you interact with directly and they're important. And then there are these people who you know from online, let's say mm-hmm. by looking at their blogs, listening to their podcasts, their YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. They don't know you, but you know them. And if you are given mm-hmm. a chance, you just say, over everybody else around me, I'd have them instead. Mm. Yeah. So I want, to, I want you as a food blogger to give us like, four tips or maybe even five for anybody who wants to start food blogging because I'm sure a lot of people bake a lot at home. They have their iPhones, Mm -hmm. they have their cameras, but they basically don't know what to do with what they've done. Mm -hmm. They just take pictures, take it on Instagram, take videos, take it on TikTok. But what if you want to be like a full-fledged blogger? What would this person do? Oh, that's a great question. So, First of all, you need to decide what is the reason you're starting a blog. Do you want to make money with it? Because that's that will take you on one road. Then if you just want to do it for, you know, like a hobby, then it's a whole other thing. So if you want to make money with your blog, then there are a lot of things that you need to follow. Like you have to get the right website um, that is self-hosted because there are plenty of free websites that you can start on Blogspot, on WordPress.com. You can have a free website you don't have to pay for, but you can't monetize it because they own the space on your website. How people monetize their blogs is through ads on their blogs, through selling products, through doing sponsored work. And if you don't have a self-hosted website, then you will have a hard time monetizing it. That's the first thing. Um, Then you need to find the area, which which is called the niche, your niche that you're going to work in. What is it going to be, um, you know, 
Are you going to bake? Are you going to cook? Is it going to be soups? Is it going to be gluten-free or vegan or vegan and gluten-free? Because uh, food blogging is extremely competitive. It is. There are so many food bloggers out there because you can really make a lot of money food blogging because a lot of people are looking for recipes every single day. And um, the best way to succeed at it is to create um, certain focus that you're going to work in. Uh, because think about it. Like, for example, you're looking for chocolate chip cookie recipe and you're looking for a vegan chocolate chip cookie recipe then you go onto somebody's website and um, you like their recipe and you think wow I wonder what other vegan uh, recipes they have and then you click through and they and the rest of their recipes are not vegan so you will not be encouraged to you know continue browsing browsing the site and you will probably forget about it you will leave and never return unless you find it again through google search now, if you had all, all, a lot of vegan recipes and not just random vegan recipes, but let's say you had chocolate chip cookies that are vegan and then you would have banana bread that is vegan, like, you know, desserts, then people would um, click through to that because it is very related. Mm-hmm. This way you can have higher click through rate, meaning that when a person comes onto your website, they click onto something else, which is a good sign for Google. It increases your page views, uh, increases, you know, uh, the amount of ads that are watched and, and just a lot of um, other things that people can uh, look at, like subscription box or things they can download or uh, subscribe to and things like that. So uh, that's another thing, finding a niche. Um, and mine is gluten-free and gluten-free sourdough specifically. And the more specific it is, the better your chances are. Now, on the other hand, you can't just um, wake up and decide, well, I'm going to do um, vegan, gluten-free recipes and do whatever you feel like. That mm-hmm. uh, you made this recipe over the weekend and you totally came up with it yourself. There's no recipe like that. On the internet, you want to post it. It's probably not going to do well if other people are not already searching for it. And um, so you need to create recipes that already have a certain demand. And to find those uh, terms, we call them keywords, you know, mm-hmm. that people are looking for in Google, you need to use certain tools. There are free tools that you can use, extensions, Google Chrome extensions, um, a couple of them, like um, Keywords Everywhere and Keyword Surfer, but they don't give you as much information as, and their information isn't as accurate as, let's say, a paid tool would be. Uh, there is also another free tool called Google Trends and Google itself, that if you type in the Google search, um, gluten-free chocolate, and then it will give you suggestions. What else, gluten-free chocolate, what other queries people uh, look for, let's say, gluten-free chocolate, banana bread, gluten-free chocolate, cheap cookies and things like that. And so you have an idea that what people are searching for, then there are paid tools. And the cheapest one that is good is called Key Search. Um, it's, I think, keysearch.co. They are about $13 a month if you get a discount, which everybody can get the discount. It's on their website. If you get a first month free trial, uh, they give you a code that um, you can enter and have it for $13 a month. Then the regular pl- price is 17 and the pro version, I think, is 34 or 30 But you don't really, you really don't need that. Like the $13 is enough if you just want to look for keywords. And they have so many other options. To, you know, there's um, such a thing as backlink. Um, it's how many other sites link to you, which increases your authority in Google's eyes and gives you more chances to succeed. So you can check backlinks with that tool. You can check your competition with this tool. You can check, um, you can, they have an AI 
assistant, I mean, this is artificial intelligence, you know, how like chat GPT that mm-hmm. helps you create, um, you know, an outline for a certain blog post, which is very helpful. Um, so keywords, you really need to focus on that because if you create a recipe that nobody's looking for, you will have zero traffic, which kind of defeats your whole point of uh, creating. Mm-hmm. So after that, um, as you, uh, you know, when you're looking for keywords, there's also um, certain aspects of it. For example, you need to look for keywords that are highly searched, but not as mm-hmm. competitive. And and those tools, KeySearch, Ahrefs, SEMrush, uh, they have, those are more expensive tools, um, but they have more information on um, competition and the volume that has been searched. So normally a good keyword would be the one that at least 300 people will search for in one month. If it's lower than that, then um, the chances of you earning money with that post are very low unless you can sell it well on social media. Let's say somebody on Facebook will click, like let's say a thousand people on Facebook will go into your vegan chocolate chip cookies, but maybe like online nobody's looking for it, that's still good for you because if you advertise it on Facebook, then you will have traffic for it. So you need to think of that, um, what will work for you before you create any recipe. Because creating recipes, uh, you might just want to do it as a creator and um, do what you do well, but um, you need to think what is going to do well online as well with with other people. So -hmm. that's one thing. Then... um, when you, you you found the keyword, you, you got your hosting, let's say you know what you're doing, and then you also need to uh, make sure that your site speed is uh, good. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a good keyword, you have a um, self-hosted website, you know how you're going to monetize. You got traffic, but your website is not fast. That means that somebody else will have higher chances of outranking you because they have better uh, site speed which is important for Google. Google cares about your site speed. Um, To get a good site speed, you need to think about your website theme. A theme is basically what your website looks like, the makeup of your site. And for food bloggers, there's a specific theme that comes with a Feast plugin. Mm -hmm. And that theme um, is super fast. The plugin itself helps your site function really well and uh, fast mm-hmm. and it's created for food bloggers so that's another thing um, so those are the things you want to look for and of course joining uh, Facebook groups forums for food bloggers because listening to podcasts getting uh, listening to free webinars you know for food bloggers there's so much free information out there to learn uh, SEO SEO is search engine optimization because the most traffic you get is from Google so like it's a search engine and you want to optimize your posts for the search engines, because that's how you will get the most passive income, you know, with your blog as you can. And mm-hmm. that's like this whole uh, science of getting seen on Google is called search engine optimization, short SEO. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what professional bloggers focus on a lot. Um, so you need to join, you know, there's a great uh, Facebook group for food bloggers called Food Blogger Central. And Mm -hmm. they have plenty of successful food bloggers or SEO experts that answer your questions. They have free webinars. They have paid webinars. They have um, courses, 
how to search for keywords well. There is a course and some things can be a bit expensive. So you need to wait, you know, uh, whether save for it or wait until your website makes something and then you can um, pay for more things. But, you know, when you start, you just um, you can use as much free stuff as you can because there is so much great information out there. So basically, you know, in a nutshell, if you want to start a food blog, you really need to be dedicated because it's a super competitive um, area mm-hmm. and you need to find your niche. You need to find something that you're going to be focusing around um, and get good, uh, like get educated on the SEO side speed and all things like that. Mm-hmm. And what's the greatest thing or maybe the worst thing about being a food blogger? Um, the greatest thing I think is that you get to do whatever you want. Like you kind of your own boss. Um, you can decide when you work, um, what you work on, what recipes you're gonna make. You have community. Uh, you don't have to have office hours. I guess what is not so nice is the competition because competition and food blogging is really hard and sometimes it's discouraging because you create a recipe and you realize that it's struggling on like page eight of Google, you know, or page two, and nobody really goes on page two. If you search anything in Google, you're probably going to get, you know, look at the first two results, maybe scroll a bit further, but you're not going to go on the page two. So like if you're on page two of Google, then have very little chances. And I think because it's so competitive, sometimes it's so discouraging because to find the right keywords, you really need to work hard. And so many keywords have been taken, you know, by now. So you really need to be smart about it, in mm-hmm. a sense. And since you bake a lot, Nat, what is like the three things you use a lot when it comes to your recipes? In baking? Yeah. So right now, my number one thing I use is gluten-free sourdough starter. Gluten-free sourdough starter is the yeast that you use mm-hmm. for gluten-free sourdough that is natural. You know, that people, so like right now, most of us use commercial yeast, the one that you can buy in the store. Mm-hmm. And that yeast was invented not that long ago. And people didn't have this kind of yeast at some point. So they had to grow it naturally, which um, happens if you mix flour and water and let it sit for a little bit. Then the bacteria starts um, growing. And eventually it grows enough to be able to raise the bread um, and make it nice and fluffy and airy and all that. So I'm using that a lot because I'm doing a lot of gluten-free sourdough recipes. And I use gluten-free flour, which can be expensive if you buy pre-made flour. If you buy pre-made blends, they can be almost twice as expensive as if you just bought separate flours and then made your own blend. For example... There's rice flour, brown rice flour, there is millet flour, um, buckwheat, all kinds of things like that. And I just mix all of them in a certain proportion and then um, add binders, you know, like santan gum or psyllium husk. And then those things um, help keep the bread together. Definitely don't buy pre-made, I don't buy pre-made blends because I bake so much that it wouldn't be worth it. Um, mm. So those are two things I use the most. Um, and psyllium husk. So yes. there is, in gluten-free baking, you can make your breads, um, you know, how if you don't use any binders, you just use gluten-free flour, mm-hmm. your um, 
your bread or your baked goods, they will be super crumbly. And the thing is that to make it um, stick and to make it uh, stretchy like regular bread, you need to use some sort of binder. So that would be xanthan gum, what most people use because it's very popular. But recently, another binder uh, became more popular. It's called psyllium husk, but that is really like the magic ingredient in gluten-free baking. Like if you use psyllium husk, your bread will be almost like regular bread, but most people don't know about it. I mean, not most, maybe just a lot of people because it has been becoming more popular. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't know about it. And then a lot of people kind of feel a bit intimidated by it, like I was. I didn't want to use it for the longest time because I thought like, oh, it's expensive and um, I don't want to learn a new thing and things like that. But, mm-hmm. well, it's not. It's actually not that expensive either. And once you learn how to make bread with it, you really don't want to go back because it's so easy. Uh, makes your life so much easier. And I even made a post recently on psyllium husk and gluten-free baking to help those that are kind of struggling, like, oh, should I get psyllium husk? Should I start baking with it? Um, so I made a breakdown of types of psyllium husk and where to order online um, and how it works and some recipes you can make with it. So, yeah, those are probably the most common ingredients. Yeah, and I think people buy xanthan gum without realizing how too much can be also too much in the recipe because some people have used xanthan gum to as a binding agent for ice cream and then the ice cream mm-hmm. turns out gummy. It's like you're having bubble Ooh. gum now because yes. there's too much of it. And yes. it does that to everything. Like if you put just yes. even an, a little bit too much, even a gram too much of xanthan, everything turns bubble gum. And you'll find some people now avoid mm-hmm. using a binding agent, and then your gluten-free recipes, they turn out dry. And this is why yes, I, yes. I, I always fear eating anything that's gluten-free, because I'm like, this <laughs> will be dry. It will be dry. Mm-hmm. It's like eating a baguette in everything. It's mm-hmm. literally that. Like, all your mm-hmm. big foods are baguettes. They're just dry. That's mm-hmm. why I hate gluten-free. I can't take, mm-hmm. unless I've baked it myself, uh-uh. I can't trust mm-hmm. somebody's hand to make gluten-free when I'm not seeing what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. it's not tasty. It's it's like having brown bread that's a baguette. It's just plain and dry. That's how I can describe most gluten-free recipes. Brown bread mm-hmm. that's plain and dry. That's what most people would probably say. And you see, if you use psyllium husk, psyllium husk is, um, it creates a gel. So basically what it does, it takes a lot of water and then it binds it together and it keeps that water within the bread. So a lot of times when people would, will bake with psyllium husk, they will actually complain rather that their bread is too wet rather than too dry because um, psyllium husk is great at keeping moisture in the bread, made it, making it elastic. Like I agree with you that when, you know, when I started baking gluten-free, I was um, I was so surprised how bad gluten-free bread is, how crumbly it is. You know, you can't make a hot sandwich that is, you know, like in a press, a hot sandwich yeah. maker that you press because it just breaks apart. You can't use a toaster. You can't do anything with it. It just it just crumbles. And now, um, I, I like I can make cinnamon rolls. I can make dinner rolls. I can make uh, bread uh, in a Dutch oven that you can knead with your hands and um, you know, that tastes great and has great texture and um, doesn't fall apart at all. And doesn't. It, and it sometimes it tastes 
almost the same as uh, regular baked goods, although it will never be exactly the same, but it, it comes close. So I'm really um, pleasantly surprised how much, you know, the Salem husk makes a difference. And there is a reason people call it the magic ingredient in gluten-free baking. Mm-hmm. And as a mother of a one-year-old daughter, Nat, I'm curious, how important is family mealtime to you? Like, are you looking forward for your daughter to, like, grow up, to be, like, grown up enough for her to be in the kitchen with you, trying out some baking recipes for kids, and also enjoying some of those recipes on her own? Do you look forward to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess family mealtime right now is not as um, significant, probably, although we do eat together, you know, but she doesn't necessarily realize what's happening. She doesn't care so much whether we eat together or not. She's eating, she's sitting in her little uh, chair and then eats whatever I give her. But when she will be a little bit older, uh, I'm sure it will be more fun to sit together and um, enjoy a meal together as a family. And with baking, yeah, I'm looking forward to her learning. I hope she will like it because you can never guarantee that your kid will like baking or cooking. I'm sure when they're small, they're happy to watch you do anything and everything. But then later, who knows? Knows, um, what she will like but as a parting shot for this episode what would you like to tell anybody out there who's like at home who's a mom who's trying to like share the recipes with the rest of the world or who doesn't know where to begin basically well um, to those who are at home with their kids and want to uh, share their recipes and be a food blogger what I would say is um, probably really thinking through what your priorities are, balancing, you know, your life. It is possible to do business and take care of your kids, but you also need to be wise when is it time to take a break because sometimes we can burn out depending on what's happening with our kids. Our kids can get sick or something is difficult happening for a longer time, a couple months, let's say, and then you try to do your blog at the same time and you sometimes need to stop to avoid burnout because once you burn out, there's no, like, you can't keep going and you have to take a break and it might be longer than you would like to or maybe longer than you would have uh, taken, you know, beforehand. So basically... Uh, be wise about it. And also, um, if you really have passion for it, don't give up just because it seems impossible, because there is always more to learn, more to improve on. And it's really fun as long as you uh, treat it as a fun, you know, hobby or business that you do. And not like I've seen a lot of people on Facebook sharing that they're burnt out because they're so stressed out by their traffic, by, you know, how slow their blog growth is. And the truth is that, like, don't stress out too much. Take it slow. Take it uh, as much as you can do in a day. If you can do one hour, great. If you can do two, uh, even better. You know, be consistent with it, and it will grow eventually. Um, just, yeah, be wise with rest. Yeah, so be wise, have passion, and don't give up, basically. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> be right. Be wise, have passion, and don't give up. Anyway, for those who are listening right now, if you'd like to check out Natasha's recipes, you can go on to our website, natashashome.com, and also check out her Pinterest, her Instagram, her Facebook, her YouTube channel as well. The links will be in the description. If you love gluten-free, I'm sure you'll have a lot, a lot of recipes you can check out. She has a lot, everything you'd like to bake. It doesn't mean that since you love gluten, you can't have great baked goods. You can Especially if you check out our recipes, it's basically everything from pizzas to muffins to bread 
to sourdough. I'm actually enjoying your website a lot. <laughs> I'm enjoying your website a lot. I think I'll try a couple of things because I myself have a bit of gluten intolerance, just a little uh-huh. bit. I don't think I'm gluten intolerant fully, but if I have uh-huh. too much gluten, it doesn't go out well. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah, but I think I will end the episode here. You can join mm-hmm. us next week for another episode here at Care Life Podcast. Check out our second podcast as well, Wicked Camper Podcast, for anybody, absolutely anybody who loves ghost stuff. We have been talking for a couple of weeks now about UFOs. We've talked about orbs. We've talked about haunted places. We've talked about ghosts. It's so much, so much is happening in that podcast. So just check it out. Don't forget to check out our channel. And we'll see you guys next week.